mortality rates have increased by about 400% since the early noughties, which is extraordinary. The industry themselves recognise it, but they gloss over it with language like, it's a perfect storm. It's not, it's a crisis. It's spiralling out of control. That's Harry Highton, director of the One Kind Animal Charity. He's talking about the recent league table his organisation drew up, assessing welfare standards across Scotland's 250 or so salmon farms. It's easy when you hear these statistics about average lice loads for it to go over your head, but I would encourage you to think about what it actually means. So an average lice load of 29 per fish. Imagine that in your head, these lice... You know, one adult salmon covered in 29 adult lice and more because they're only counting the adult female lice on them. I mean, that is abysmal. And also, who would want to eat that apart from anything else? The industry has lost control over key disease and welfare issues. And we need to stop, look at what's happening and come up with solutions before this industry grows anymore because the context here and perhaps the reason why there is so much concern at the moment is not just that these issues are escalating out of control, it's that there are enormous expansion plans for the industry. So the Scottish Government wants to see it double in size. Now that's crazy when we can't even keep the fish in these pens alive as it is, right? The charity's now published a report on fish welfare in which it calls, among other things, for a moratorium on the big expansion plans for Scottish salmon farms. It says clearer rules are needed, for instance, on sea lice treatment and stocking densities must be kept down. But while an animal welfare charity might be expected to say those things, does fish welfare matter to anyone else? I've come to the Highland West Coast where fish farm numbers are growing. There have long been concerns about them on environmental grounds, but now there are growing concerns about fish welfare, as I heard first of all in Argyle. Here at Clacken Seal on the island of Seal, the air is alive with birdsong. Many of the birds here are seabirds. There's a shag sitting on a buoy just a few yards away. I'm on the pontoon of Sea Life Adventures where I'm going to go with David Ainsley and his wife Jean to the Polnagill fish farm. We're going to have a look at that and uh, talk to David about fish farms, why they object to them. So uh, Jean and David are here now and we're just about to go aboard. Hi. Hi. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. It's a beautiful evening as we head off down Seal Sound. It's been wet this afternoon, but the sun has now finally broken through and is shining in silver off the sea just next to us. It really is a stunning place. There's beautiful birch woodland on the headlands. There's yellow gorse. However, there are five or six fish farm installations quite close to here. So we've come out to Polnagill, which is near the island of Shuna. It's actually not far from Crovehaven. I went aboard this farm five years ago at the invitation of the then owners, and I spoke to staff, and they told me then that they had faith that what they were doing was not harming the environment, and they pointed out that they too had to live here. 
Now, Polnagil and the waters around Seal, Ling and Crovehaven lie in the Ore and Nell and Ad and Ormsbury fish health management reporting regions. That's as defined by the Scottish Salmon Producers Organisation. That organisation says that between July and January, the upper limit for treatment at a site to stop lice infestation spreading should be one female louse on average per fish. So if there's one female louse on average, they should be treating for lice. In November 2017, the average number of female lice per fish in Orr and Nell was almost seven. In Ad and Ormsbury, the figure was around 5.1 for November. The man in charge of the boat that we're on, David Ainsley, has just come out to talk to me. David, how would you describe yourself? I have a degree in marine zoology and I've been working as a charter skipper and diver in the Firth of Lawn for 30 years. Are there any reasons, do you think, why there could have been a particular problem with sea lice in this area? Well, it's obvious if you look at the farms in this area. We have um, four farms surrounding the island of Shuna, and the flood tide runs from these four farms up past the fifth farm. It's obvious that the flood tide is going to take all the sea lice larvae up in one direction, and the ebb tide is going to suck them back. So this is an ideal breeding ground for sea lice. The root of the problem is too many fish farms which are too big and they're all in the same area. We are seeing an industry which is out of control on its mortalities. Now we have record levels of fish dying, we have fish which have to be culled early. The industry has never been in such a mess. And it's not going to be very pleasant if you're a fish in those circumstances. Yes, imagine having been covered by parasites which are burrowing into your skin effectively eating you alive, you eventually die of fungal infection. After talking to David Ainsley, I headed for the island of Skye, where there's a rash of aquaculture developments. So I've come round from Broadford and taken the road off the A87 signposted to Mole. It's a small, rather badly potholed road. And I'm now standing above the Carry fish farm at Loch Ainert. Like Polnagill, it's another fairly stunning location. It's a beautiful sea loch. There's a small community on the far side of the loch. There's beautiful green hills, bits of the sky cooling, sticking up with snow on them nearby. The fish farm itself consists of a dozen circular cages and a base station with lots of pipes and cables leading off it and that's making the distinct noise that you can hear there. James Merriweather is a well-known campaigner against fish farms. He's here along with Eileen Armstrong from the south of Skye, who's another campaigner on this issue. James, you live not far away on the mainland. How many fish farms are there around Skye? Approximately 20, I think. We're having a look at Carrie today. Is this typical of them? Yes, 12 times 120 metre circumference nets or cages um, with a feed barge and all those pipes feeding the, the pellets into the, into the centre of each cage where they spun out over the water. Environmental issues are the ones that have been concerning me and my colleagues for a long time because of the outputs of organic waste 
and many other issues to do with the marine ecological aspects here. But I have, I've had a mind change having read this amazing book called Farmageddon by the director, I think he is, of Compassion in World Farming. And I've suddenly become much more compassionate towards the fishes as I would be towards cows, chickens and all the, all the other sorts of factory-farmed beasts. So I'm seeing these fish farms in a different way now. Now, Eileen, you live on Skye. What are the concerns that local people have about fish farms? I think from the environment point of view, the contamination of our waters. Skye's suffering at the moment from algal blooms, which affects the shellfish producers. When that happens, they have to stop harvesting, and it's a regularly and increasing occurrence. And that is related, we think, to the enriched waters um, waters are enriched by the the sewage that comes from the open net cages um, and the fish farms. Would fish welfare rank up there as a, as a concern for you or for other local people? Yes, I think it would. Recently, I've been noticing a lot of the well boats. The well boats are the boats that go to the fish farm to harvest the the salmon to take them to um, to land them on shore and then they go to the processing plant and in the Sound of Slate uh, we've been noticing a lot of well boats that have actually been anchored up for many hours and if you actually track them you can track them on on a website you can see when they left the fish farm and they'll sit for 10 12 hours um, waiting to go into harbour and they're in the wells of these boats contained quite snugly I think um, for many hours if we treated sheep and cows like that there'd be an outrage. So are they right to be concerned? The traditional view used to be that fish don't suffer distress or pain in the way that we do. Or at least they have a response to unpleasant stimuli that's very different to ours. But scientists now think that fish are much more like us than we thought. Professor Victoria Braithwaite, formerly of Edinburgh University and now at Penn State in the USA, spoke by Skype to explain. From a welfare perspective, we worry about sentience because when animals are um, capable of experiencing negative emotions and things like suffering, then obviously those are the things we want to try to alleviate. So in terms of fish welfare, it really begins with that very question of are fish sentient? And the weight of the evidence now does indicate that they are sentient. We're trying to understand what the fish are capable of. So the first place you can look is in the nervous system and actually ask, well, do they have dedicated nerve fibers and neurological processes which are there to perceive pain? And when you look in the fish, then just like birds and mammals, they have these dedicated nerve fibers which are there to protect the animal and to make the animal aware when something damaging has occurred. And the next question is, is that when those are triggered, does that lead to pain itself and a pain that is actually felt? And for that, we have to then turn to the brain and look at what the fish are capable of. So, for example, you can look at the response of the fish to when you give it a small injection of, of bee venom. What we find is that you get a rapid increase in breathing rate. You get a lack of interest in food for quite a prolonged period of time afterwards. But the most significant evidence that we have is that the fish become distracted and find it very hard to focus and concentrate on things that are going on in the environment. You know, you can think about this as being very similar to when we have a headache, we also find it very difficult to focus and concentrate. What do we do? We take an aspirin and that pain relief actually allows us then to refocus and um, uh, pay attention to the things that we need to. 
So we did experiments where we treated the fish. In this case, it was a small injection of uh, of vinegar uh, that, again, you know, if you've ever had vinegar in a cut or something on your hand, maybe when you've been preparing a salad in the kitchen, you know that that nips and it really stings. The fish respond in a very similar way. They actually try to rub the area that's been affected. If we now look at their ability to concentrate and focus, what we find is that they're distracted when they've had that kind of stimulus. But if you repeat the experiment and this time you provide them with pain relief, so something similar to an aspirin, what we find there is that that ability to focus and concentrate is reinstated. So that's quite compelling. You treat the fish in a way that gives it some kind of experience of something that's that's noxious, that's nasty. And they show a series of changes in behavior that are very similar to the way that we react and respond to something painful, particularly this idea of this higher order um, cognitive ability being impaired. But you then provide pain relief and you're able to relieve those symptoms. So taking all that evidence together, it really does look as though the fish are aware of the painful experiences that we've been using in, in the experiments that we've done in the way that we care about the welfare of our pets and dogs and cats and also terrestrial farm animals. You know, a lot of effort goes into trying to minimize the suffering of those animals because we believe that they're sentient and therefore have this capacity for suffering. And so what we're saying is, is that really fish should be included in that. Emeritus Professor Felicity Huntingford of Glasgow University has been studying fish welfare for decades and described how fish sentience has been explored. They found that in bass, as in as they found for mice and rats, um, the stress response to the same negative event is much less if there's been a signal to the fish that it's coming, which is quite a complicated, so there's some quite complicated mental events happening around that experiment. And what they also did, taking advantage of the amazing molecular tools that are becoming available, they looked at the expression of early-onset genes uh, in different parts of the brain. So they tell you, after the fish have had this experience, which parts of the brains are active within microseconds. And they found strong increase in activity that is special to these fish which experience unpredictable negative events. That's um, strong activity in those parts of the brain which are the same as the parts of the brain that deal with emotion and negative effects in mammals. So it doesn't, of course, mean they're identical, but there's quite a lot of commonality there at that level in the way that animals as different as fish and mammals are responding to negative experience. Now, neither of these academics oppose aquaculture in general, But Huntingford says, as it stands, there are problems in ensuring fish welfare in the industry. There are always new diseases keep coming. So you need your vets and microbiologists to produce effective treatment for new diseases as they come up. In the case of the lice particularly, it's quite strongly regulated. The farms need to have an integrated policy for dealing with lice. So I think disease is clearly a serious problem for the aquaculture industry from a production point of view as well as from a welfare point of view. I've worked with aquaculture researchers and also fish farmers, sometimes in labs but often on farms, and I think you need to make a distinction when you're thinking about attitudes to welfare between the people who are on the farm and the people who manage the farm and people who see the fish, the people who actually, if you like, live with the fish. And my experience is that those people care deeply about the welfare of their fish, partly because 
poor welfare is poor production still, but mainly because of a pride in the job that they do and, and that they actually care about fish, like any good farmer. So I would want to make a distinction, first of all, between good farmers and bad farmers. And I think that's important because the good farmers are very, very good. I'd also want to make a distinction between the people who run and manage the farms or perhaps even a group of farms and maybe if it's a big multinational accountants who are trying to maximise profit, just looking at the columns of, of profit and loss. And I think that at a sort of local scale, good production and good welfare do go hand in hand, but it's possible that on a larger scale there's a conflict. I don't think bad farmers of any sort should be allowed to practice, and I don't think that accountants of any multinational company should be allowed to push the people who do the job to the point where their fish are not enjoying good welfare. So what does the salmon farming industry have to say about all this? When we ask the Scottish Salmon Producers Organisation and a number of aquaculture firms to be interviewed for this podcast, they all refused. Instead of answering questions face-to-face, the Producers Organisation provided their own pre-recorded statements on the issues raised. Julie Hesketh-Laird is the organisation's chief executive. Scottish salmon farmers rear their fish to the highest welfare standards and on the basis that fish in their care are capable of feeling pain, an underlying reason why the industry takes its welfare responsibility so seriously. Fish health and welfare is at the heart of successful Scottish salmon farming. Healthy fish means satisfied customers and good business, so it's in everyone's interest to operate to the highest of welfare standards. Farm pens in Scotland are stocked at some of the lowest farming densities of all salmon farming countries – Around 70% of Scottish salmon are RSPCA farm-assured, and that's a higher percentage than any other UK farming sector. The remaining salmon in the industry are reared to the same high welfare standards. Working in nature inevitably means that farmers deal as part of their regular routine with challenges like sea lice, which occur naturally. A variety of techniques is used by the industry to manage lice. Using a combination of these techniques and technologies is proving effective in the management of sea lice, And our SSPO data shows that overall, the industry lice average for March of this year was 0.34 adult female lice per salmon. Now, that's the lowest that numbers have been since July 2013, and the underlying trend is downwards. Complex challenges require sophisticated solutions, and the industry is investing in research to improve survival and in breeding fish that are less susceptible to health issues. The industry is also looking at why there's increased resistance, for instance, to sea lice medicines. The recently launched Farmed Fish Health Framework is the result of industry, government and regulator collaboration, and it sets out a roadmap of activity to ensure that farmed fish health reaches the high standards that we aspire to. It recognises the valuable work that the industry is already doing. It sets out actions to be put in place and, importantly, looks ahead so that the industry and stakeholders can develop more open and more transparent communication and an understanding, so that salmon farming can progress sustainably and successfully. Scottish salmon farmers recognise the current consenting regime for Scottish aquaculture, including the planning system and other environmental regulatory frameworks, will be the overriding factor that determines sustainable growth. The industry understands that we must overcome production challenges and minimise wider impacts if we're to grow and continue to provide jobs and investment and other social benefits that the rural community and economy benefit from. Steve Bracken from Marine Harvest Scotland, which runs the sites in Argyll and Skye that we visited, 
also provided a recording. It's vital for fish quality that salmon remain as stress-free as possible prior to harvest, and this process is taken very seriously by farmers. While there may be unforeseen delays when transporting fish, it's rare. If delayed, fish remain under the care of trained technicians that ensure optimal conditions are maintained for the fish, including water circulation and oxygen supplementation. There's no evidence to suggest that algal blooms are elevated because of fish farms. In fact, many of the algal blooms witnessed on the west coast originate offshore, far from salmon farming regions. Nutrient discharge from salmon farms is regulated and prevents excess nitrogen being released in the marine environment. The assertion that animal welfare is jeopardised to increase profitability is misguided and untrue, as anyone experienced in farming animals would know. Fish health and welfare is at the heart of successful Scottish salmon farming. It's in everyone's best interest to encourage good animal welfare. The biological needs of the fish guide responsible business decisions, as healthy animals typically reflect profitability. It's accurate to say that the management of farm sites within uh, close proximity to each other must be a coordinated process which includes the coordination of fish health programmes and uh, fallow or empty periods on the farm. This coordinated fallow, for example at Paul McGilly, is reflected in the sea lice monitoring data that's published monthly on our website. It would be unfair, of course, to condemn all Scotland's fish farms for bad practice. In that league table produced by one kind that I mentioned at the start, dozens of farms were completely in the clear on all the poor welfare indicators. Sarah Allen from the charity actually crunched the numbers to draw up that league table. I was very shocked by the kind of number of sites that would have kind of a red issue, as it were. But on the flip side, I was actually quite surprised by the number that had zero issues um, by our statistics. There were quite a number of sites that didn't rate badly for anything. And I think that kind of shows that it is possible to be more welfare friendly. But those sites that aren't doing it, they clearly have issues that need resolving. That leaves us to ponder what One Kind director Harry Hyten had to say about the future of aquaculture. Standards could be much, much higher and that would result in less suffering, without a doubt. And I think we would like to see everybody brought up to the highest standard that you see at the moment before there's any further talk about expansion. The bigger question about whether aquaculture is sustainable, in a perfect world, we wouldn't be doing it. We wouldn't be farming wild animals in this way, absolutely not. And if you don't want animals to suffer because of what you eat, don't eat them. We don't operate in a perfect world, and that's why we are looking at the moment for just you know, big improvements in those welfare standards.